Welcome everyone, hope you're having a wonderful day. Always a pleasure seeing all of you. I'm Henrik and this is Red Ice TV. Today, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to go old school Red Ice here today once again. We are going to peer behind the veil and go deep and dive into something a bit more esoteric. Uh, once again, if you've been with us for a while, you know what I'm talking about. If you're a newcomer, stay with us and you'll find out. Uh, now, I'd be the first to admit that over the course of the last few years here, we have focused a lot on the players that are either on the stage, directly on it, or maybe slightly behind it, to be honest. There's plenty to focus on right there. There's plenty of evil to expose right there as well. We're talking about some of the usual suspects, people like Bill Gates, Klaus Schwab, Larry Fink, you know, of BlackRock, Yuval Noah Harari of uh, the World Economic Forum, but also people behind the weaponization of the executive agencies in the US. People like Merrick Garland, Alejandro Mayorkas, not so much maybe Joe Biden. He's kind of a laughing stock puppet in front of the stage, but there are people behind the scenes or behind at least Biden that knows what's going on. People like Anthony Blinken, Lincoln, Victoria Newland. We, you know, can talk about the neocons and Apex and all the crazy <laughs> liberals as well. Uh, in the EU, of course, you have people like Ursula von der Leyen and countless NGOs and interest groups, lobby groups, and individuals that have been pushing to open our borders, to advocate for our replacement, and they've taken more from us and given to themselves than I ever have in the past. All while trying to convert and sterilize our kids into uh, transsexuals. Now, in the wake of the massive psyop of the COVID lockdowns, you have people like uh, Albert Borla and Stefan Bansell that have played an incredibly important role as well in this. You know, Rochelle Walensky, Fauci, of course. Again, there's plenty of evil and corruption right in front of our noses to expose. But that doesn't mean that we don't like to take a deeper dive now and then and ask what are some of the factors that drives these people? Is it just money or is there something more to it? Are there forces behind these people? Are there even entities that are pushing us to go in this direction? Over the last five to ten years, we've seen some remarkable uh, advances, you know, from their point of view to push us in this direction. And uh, a total prison planet, essentially, that they're building around us right now. And the question is, is it just money and greed and control or what is it? What, who's behind this and what's happening? Our guest today is John Lamb Lash, author of Not In His Image, who returns to the show finally. One thing, I guess, that would uh, summarize his works, I'd say that would be Gnosticism. And if there's one thing that I'd say he's probably the best known for, a concept, uh, it is that of the Archons, the rulers. Now, of course, feel free to explore prior shows with John that we have in our archives. If you want to listen to kind of this from the beginning, as I don't want to go over all the details from the start here today for a potential newcomers so there might be some things that you're unfamiliar with but why, why shouldn't we go over everything from the beginning again well because there's just so many things that have happened since we last spoke to John that I want to ask him about I want to put this in perspective and see what he thinks this is about and how this plays into the kind of work and research that he's been doing you know a few of the major things that have happened is obviously the COVID agenda you have the mRNA shot, the lockdowns, and the masking that came with that. And then, of course, now you have the consequences uh, of some of the policies inflicted on us during the COVID lockdowns. So now we're looking at food shortages, supply chain issues, energy shortages. This might be a tremendously severe winter, uh, especially for Europeans, but in many other parts of the world as well. And we know, and I hope you know, they will continue to blame Russia and Putin on this. But as we know, there's much more to it than that. And this have been going on for a long time. And the policies that have been pushing us in this way <clears throat> was already in place long before uh, you know Putin and the Kremlin decided to uh, go into Ukraine. Uh, 
But that's how it's been spun. We also have, of course, the insane acceleration of the anti-white agenda that have kind of, frankly, if you look at it, it exploded into the mass consciousness over the last couple of years. And then on top of that, you have like the crazy trans and LGBT lobby that are basically trying to sterilize our kids and getting them to join their, uh, their cult, their new religion. And what about the now extremely open agenda of the technocrats and the transhumanist push to get us into this fourth industrial revolution? They have just come right out with all of this since COVID. Now they call it the Great Reset and uh, Build Back Better. You can talk about things like the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, Agenda 2030. All these things that basically were classified by the mainstream as uh, fringe conspiracy theories, last time we spoke with John, are now basically right out in the open, being proposed as policy. And in some cases, it's sort of being implemented, at least in the West. They want to drive you off the land into the pod and eating the bugs. They want you to put on the virtual reality headset and get into the metaverse while artificial intelligence runs the things on the surface. You also have the climate agenda with all the limitation or artificially created shortages. Since then, we have the insane ideas of the dimming of the sun and sucking carbon out of the atmosphere. All, all this might sound crazy if you're new, but the fact is these are things that it's happening right now and it's right out in the open. It's being proposed as a rational and logical scientific you know, policy that we have to uh, fix climate change and global warming. So anyway, there's no shortage of uh, problems and issues to talk about here today with our guests and put those things in perspective and look at it from a uh, broader uh, view perhaps. But as I said, I really want to also try to give John a chance to lay out the case for there being more than just the players and the agendas that I mentioned. That there could be unforeseen forces influencing the direction that we are being pushed in. And I find this a fascinating topic. We've talked about this many times in the past, and I can't think of anyone better than John Lash to bring on to talk about this. And also, of course, coincidentally, we should mention that it's the 15th year anniversary of his book, Not In His Image. So with that introduction to the show here today, Welcome, uh, John Lash. How are you? Well, I'm insufferable, but <laughs> many people seem to enjoy it. So uh, what do you make of that? It's no, to, I'm fine. Good to, and, uh, good to see you. You, you set the stage beautifully, Henrik, because there's a lot of momentum behind what we're going to talk about this evening. Yeah. Yeah, it certainly is. So what, what, what do you want to say about uh, Not In His Image here first? Obviously, it came out in 2006, and I was actually rereading one of the LA Times articles that came out. Was that like the same day it was released or something like that? Uh, no, it was my birthday in the year it was released. It's the only article that review I had in a mainstream review. Yeah, I was looking at it yesterday uh, a little bit. So tell yeah, us... In the, in the LA Times. Yes. <laughs> and uh, just an interesting... Uh, reflection, remark on that review, which uh, will play very closely into what I would like to develop in our conversation. Uh, actually, uh, it's Jonathan Kirsch, uh, you can get a hint on that. Uh, actually, a very favorable review, you know. I thought and part of it at least was actually, yeah. Yeah, up to a point. And yeah. I want to mention the point. So he said, oh, yeah, uh, Lash comes out with guns blazing, saying that he's going to complete uh, Nietzsche's mission, you know, to destroy Christianity, and he does a pretty good job of it, right? And then he says, oh, but this business about the archons and the paranormal ET extraterrestrial factor, uh, that's a step too far. Well, that's a step we're going to take this evening, because in my view, and, and this, I want this to be the takeaway of everyone here, <clears throat> in my view, 
if we do not factor in the warning about the paranormal uh, influence on human behavior that came uniquely out of the Gnostic message, we cannot get to the bottom of all the trouble in the world, nor can we finally overcome it. Yes, uh, very good point. And as I said uh, there in the introduction, we've kind of uh, not intentionally stayed away from it. It's just been so, you know, a, a lot just kind of right in front of our noses. But it's very important to, as I said, you know, kind of peer behind that uh, veil and actually see what is the. Because sometimes you're wondering, like, what, how is it that, and it's not always that they're 100% in unison, in lockstep with each other. But in many regards, you see there is a, a very uh, a deep running concurrent, uh, you know, kind of stream, if you will, that these people kind of latch onto and adhere to and are willing to be a part of and play out. And and I think some of it is obviously, sure, money or you know, corruption or whatever. Uh, but but ultimately, I see this as control. And I see to a certain extent, some of these individuals that I mentioned that we have, that we see in front of our stage as uh, kind of just, you know, uh, puppets in a way. Uh, and they're just there to like enforce uh, something else, another agenda, do you know what I mean? It's like, sometimes I can't explain it because it's just the, the evil that they're driving uh, is, is completely insane, you know? Well, the point that I've often made, and I make it strongly in my book and double down on it in a 15th edition, is that in my view, as a, uh, a scholar, and someone who's delved into shamanism, mysticism, and not only the history of religions, but also altered states, paranormal phenomena, there is nothing comparable in the world to the Gnostic intel about the nature of evil. And so in reference to what you just said, a Gnostic would explain it this way. Well, when you look at these players on the stage, and you see that they are marching in, in unity, and you see that there does seem to be as if there is some overreaching thing that is controlling them, you know? Yeah. Well, there is. You know, one of the great ironies is that they proclaim openly uh, that they have a program to turn us into, uh, what would I say, human uh, cyber hybrids. You know, they want to run us on IT. They want to implant chips. They want to turn us into what a Gnostic would call archontic robots. The irony is they are already the iconic robots, they themselves. And so the way a Gnostic would explain this uh, powerful unity that they demonstrate in all their policies is that it's by two factors. First of all, you have to have the character or potential character of a psychopath, a criminal psychopath and a control freak to join that club. That's a given, and that's obvious. So at the level of character, those players, Schwab and everyone else down the line, are psychopaths and control freaks, okay? But that's not all there is to it. They're not just in it for money and power. There is also an overreaching force working through them, and that is what enables them to be unified and what those of us who want to defeat them need to find is the ground for an equivalent unity, an equivalent stance of pulling together in unity that can match the unity that they have. And in my opinion, that is what I would like to offer this evening. And that's what I try to offer pretty much for everything I write and say. 
Yes, indeed. So <clears throat> let's see where we shall be. Again, I'm not sure if I gave you that opportunity here, but uh, uh, not in his image, of course. There's a new foreword in there. There's a new uh, uh, cover. We're showing that right here. Uh, is there something you'd like to say about the book and the, maybe the, 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 the impact and uh, how it's been received or, or anything like that regarding the whether the new one or just the 15-year history here of, of the book? Well, everyone who's contacted me about the new edition, some of them are people who read the original edition more than once, I can tell you, five, six times, said that reading the new edition is imperative. But it's okay if you come in on the new edition. Either way, I would just make these two points. In the new preface, which is called The Once and Future Heresy, uh, it's a short preface, and it tells you how I have advanced and elaborated and intensified the message over 15 years. And it gives you that in a short uh, introduction. Well, actually, I thought I'd make a smart move. Oh, I think I'll read the new preface to Notton's image and put it on my YouTube channel, for which I got a strike and seven no. days of exile. Why? Because one of the things that I said in the new preface is that COVID is a proven medical fraud. Yep. And for that one sentence, they, they, they took my YouTube talk down, which was just reading of the new introduction. The other two things I'd like you to know about the new introduction is that they indicate how I have doubled down on the problem of Christ, what I call the deceit of Christ and the figure of Christ. And now I have made special efforts drawing from the original version to show that this religious figure of Christ is actually a ploy. It's, a, it's an icon and a, and a weapon of a psyop. Christianity is malware and Christianity is Jewish malware. Okay, and so this figure of Christ is really problematical in regarding to our own sense of human identity. So I really go for the throat on that one. One line you might like, Henrik, is uh, Christ is the dankest meme on the planet. <laughs> there you go. I kind of like there that line. Nice. nice. The <laughs> other point that I make strongly in a couple of places in the book is that and people have objected to this, a few, you know, losers, that I bring in a really strong right-wing spin into the book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Interesting. All right. So very good. So uh, definitely, folks, check that out. And, of course, this will be a concurrent theme here, obviously, here throughout the show here today. Um, so what do you what do you want to move on with here? We have quite a bit on the uh, docket here on the agenda that we want to go into. So kind of uh, lead us into this, uh, John. And, and what do you think? Again, I laid so many different things out here. And it's not that it's about touching the things that are happening on the surface as as much as maybe, again, what's driving them uh, in, underneath. But but the reality here is that I think we're in I think we're in real trouble because I think we're closer than ever to their vision. At the same time, it's they're, they're pushing so hard that we're also seeing an accelerated opposition to it. I mean, a lot of the concepts, again, that I said have just been like conspiracy theories in the before is now like right out in the open uh, with the from the World Economic Forum to the Great Reset to the. Uh, uh, Agenda 2030 plan and things like that. I mean, they're openly now talking about, you know, the, the, the tech that needs to be implemented in us and in society and how it's, you know, going to run us and stuff like that. And they are very, very close to, to kind of bringing this into fruition. And so it's always that question of like, how do we, how do we fight against this? How do we defeat 
some of these people or maybe, you know, even below, below the surface, whatever it is that's actually controlling them and running the show here, John? Well, I certainly intend to do my best to get across to you uh, my understanding of what it's really going to take to take these people down. And I mean take them down their agenda, their movement, their ideology, everything, to take them down once and for all, and in such a way that they never recover. I am on that intention. I live by that intention. So I certainly want to get that message out. But one point that I want to make uh, about how I see the current situation, okay? First of all, I've become very wary uh, with the escalation of the globalist transhumanist agenda uh, that a large part of their power consists in threats and saying things that they're going to do to us or saying things that they are doing to us. Now, while it's certainly true they are doing a lot, I invite the listeners to consider that they are probably overhyping their power. You see, because they control the media, the mainstream media, and even to a large extent, the alternative media, you and I really never get to know how big and strong the opposition is. They will never let you know that. And so it tilts, it tilts the situation, you see, and they always want to come across as if they're way ahead of the game, way on top of the game, and they are going to succeed in everything that they state. But I don't buy that. I really can see another side of what's happening right now. I think they're breaking down. I think they're losing it. I think there is evidence that they cannot, evidence coming out that they themselves cannot uh, suppress that shows that uh, their whole system is cracking yeah. and falling apart. So that's helpful. I also I, want to I say, think, isn't it this, John? Real quick here, it's like Sun Tzu, right? When you're when you're uh, when you appear weak, you're strong. When you're strong, you appear weak. It's that kind of thing, right? That they, if they overplay it, they could g potentially get us to give up, right? And feel ah, it's over. They got all. They got everything under control. There's no opposition. We can't do anything, right? I definitely think that they have overplayed it, and I'm sure that you've heard competent and well informed commentators on the internet making that statement for a while now. They overplayed it yeah. with COVID. Yeah. They overplayed it with COVID. So the other point I want to make, and this I had written down in my notes as my conclusion and my final message, uh, I view the current game as an end game. We're in their end game, and there's no way you can get out of their end game. So once you accept that you're in their end game and they are going for the kill, and they are going for the whole enchilada, then you know that you have to stand up for life. It is a life and death challenge that all of us are looking at every day in our different situations and countries and communities, okay? But at the same time, I am certain that this horrific assault, this horrific crime against humanity, financially, medically, educationally, politically, sexually, is the opportunity for humanity to come to a breakthrough experience unlike was ever possible before in history. And the point that I want to make, and we'll get into this more in the second half, the second hour, is I want to 
communicate to you, emphasize to you that this breakthrough depends on a view of what the supernatural is. The supernatural is the, is the key factor in this battle, whether you know it or not, whatever your concept of the supernatural may be. So when we get around to the second hour, that's where I want to go with our conversation. Sure, you got it. Yep, sounds very interesting, fascinating. Do, do you want to tell us something about the, the nature of, of evil? Um, uh, or, or, sure. Or, yeah, go, go ahead. Sure. Uh, in Not In This Image, I believe that I identified what would be called the tap root of the evil that is now operating on this planet. So what we have today, upfront and real, you know, is called in military terms, the real and present danger, right? That's the military lingo. There is the real and present danger of the transhumanist technocrat agenda, okay? But I have shown that that agenda, which has many tendrils or many tentacles, like the, what is it, the vampire squid? Yeah. The vampire squid's coming at your face. The vampire squid's on the face of people who wear masks. Someone who has a mask is like someone who has a tentacle of the vampire squid right attached to their face, okay? I have traced all those tentacles of the vampire squid back to one common origin. And that origin can be defined by one single word, which is a Hebrew word, which is Zadik, T-Z-A-D-D-I-K. Now, Zadik means the ultra-righteous those who are better than you, those who are superior to you, and those who have a mandate or a mission to dominate you and either to enslave you or exterminate you. And that is literally their agenda, okay? So I tracked that back and not in his image. No one else has ever done this. And I like to believe, and it seems to be true from, from responses I get, that by the fact that I have identified the taproot of this evil that goes back to about 1800 BC, when the cult of the Zadokim was founded, uh, that it gives a strength and a, and a platform of strength and unity to face all those many evil tentacles that are coming at us today. That is what I wish my contribution to be as a Gnostic. Because it's only the Gnostics that uh, expose this. They expose the cult of the religious cult and the religious ideology that is actually not a product of the human mind. It is the product of a paranormal mind parasite. So I could discuss the Gnostic theory of evil in many ways. I can assure you, my friends, wherever you look in philosophy, or religion, you will not find anything comparable to it. It is the best and the most exact. But in the many ways I can discuss it or have discussed it, the essential point is that we cannot fathom the degree and intention of this evil if we do not factor in that it is coming from a non-human exobiological source. You can't just think, how can people be that evil? Who hasn't asked that question, you know? 
How can people be that evil? Well, they're not people, excuse me. They are people, but they are carrying an infection, a particular kind of infection. We talked about it in August of 2014, the archontic infection. And this is mutates and transforms and perverts human beings into archontic beings. So they're still human. They still appear to be human in many ways, but you can't analyze or assess their behavior on human terms. This is a great challenge to face this Gnostic diagnosis of evil. Yeah. Um, most of the world, I think, believe in something beyond. I think that that's not uh, wrong to say. I think most Not of the people all. are religious. They have a spiritual concept in some way, even if it was given to them, even if it was a you know formulaic of sorts or whatever it is. And I think it would be hard. You know, you wouldn't. It's this view that oh, but you have to appeal to the uh, the scientific atheists here and explain it to us. But it, my point is, throughout history, most of humans have believed in supernatural things, and so this is not something that's like you know weird or crazy. This is like this has been the norm throughout human history, right? Of course it is. Of course it is. You know, what are people who are Christians, you know, they believe that Jesus is like their imaginary friend. They talk to God or they believe God influences their actions. Same with Islam, same with uh, Hindus, same with uh, Hebrews. Okay. But I'm going to be really upfront and personal with everyone listening right now. And I'm going to challenge you and I'm going to say, yeah, I assume uh, it's fair to assume that you have some notion of the supernatural, the divine, higher power operating in your life and in the world. But I want to ask you, do you have a correct and actionable concept of the supernatural? Do you really? Because I do. And the people who follow my work in the living gnosis today also have this concept. And it is the one tool that I believe will be decisive in turning this battle to the good and to getting humanity back on a path of a, of a world worth living in and a world that thrives in beauty and truth and goodness. I am totally certain of that and I see it working all the time. So I ask your uh, patience in listening to me when I talk about the supernatural and the nature of evil being due to a paranormal influence. It might not come across to you too easy at first. It might seem obvious to you at first, but I, I ask your patience to listen all the way through if you can. Yeah, absolutely. Very good. All right. So obviously plenty to uh, to kind of dissect and go through right there. But uh, I, I want to stay on point here as well, because there are a lot of things we got we to get to today and we got to get through some of this. Uh, imp the important message that you have for for audience today. So we've talked about the uh, the Sabbateans before, and that's kind of a framing that you have as well, the Sabbatean agenda, right? Can you uh, explain that a little bit for us and how it maybe co connects with this idea of the uh, uh, Tzaddik or uh, maybe even the, the Archons, John? Sure. Well, the Sabbatean agenda is the plan of the Archons and those who are implementing it and identify racially and religiously with that agenda uh, are the Zadok today. They are the ultra-righteous. And you don't merely see them in the genre of their original religious context, which is Judaism, 
but you see them in communism, which Rabbi Stephen Wise said is Judaism, and you see them in the technocratic and uh, transhumanist gang of suspects. Now, I realize that there are many sincere people over the years, say since 9-11, you know, what uh, the Chinese call medicines, you know, uh, internet citizens and individual sleuths and detectives and people who have made tremendous efforts to look back into the past, as I did, and, you know, trace the sources of this evil program we're facing today. And uh, so that's what I've done. And it can get very complicated and it can take years to do that. So what I like to offer, if I can, is a, a summation of that investigation, okay? So my summation of that investigation is simple. It says that around 1800 BC, at the time that is associated with the biblical patriarch Abraham, whether he lived or not, is a symbolic figure of the foundation of the Abrahamic religions. There was an intrusion, a major intrusion into our species by extraterrestrial archontic entities which I described extensively in Not In His Image. And this was uh, a neural hack. I've described this as well. We talked about it in the interview on the archonic infection. So there are, from about 2000, uh, for about 4,000 years now, this neural hack of an archonic virus has been developing in the minds of certain people. It is an actual material virus. And through the centuries, those who carry this archonic infection have been recognized as such, haven't they? And it's the proof of that is that there was a lot of, uh, let's say, alarm and concern about the presence of this archonified group who are the ultimate in-group on the planet. And so, as you know, the story goes, the evidence shows that there were objections to them in the ancient world. And then as European history moves forward in the last 2,000 years, they've been expelled hundreds of times. These expulsions are due to a natural response of the human animal. They detect that there is an infected animal in their presence, and they detect the behavior of that animal, and they want it to be uh, either eliminated from their territory or exterminated. This is absolutely natural. Nevertheless, due to the fact that this uh, archontic factor is extremely deceptive and subversive and hides itself, it managed to advance through history and gain more and more power. This is a long story to develop. One of the problems about this story is if you try to look into it too far and if you go back too far, you get enmeshed in in a lot of narratives and and a lot of research and you can get lost in the sauce, you know? So I advise not to get lost in the sauce, to bring the story of the escalation of the uh, enemies of life uh, forward from 1666. That's pretty easy. That's only like a few centuries. We're not going back to pre-Christian era. So what happened in 1666? Well, it was a psychotic breakdown in the religious mindset 
of a particular group of people. I'm very wary of saying the name of these people. In fact, I made a decision a while back that I wouldn't even say their name anymore. Uh, I prefer not to. So I'm going to use a name that is derived from their native language and what they call themselves. So they call themselves Yehudin. Okay. So I'm going to play with that name a little bit because the names that you give to things are really important. And I'm going to call them uh, the Yehudis. Okay. The Yehudis. So these Yehudis are a particular and unique group of people, and they carry a mandate and a mission. Their mandate, which they claim comes from their father god, which is an off-planet god, the Gnostics identified as the Demiurge, uh, designates them as the chosen people. So they basically claim that their god selected them to be chosen and preferred upon all above all other people on earth. And this is their identity and their ideology. You know, Henrik, over recent years, I prefer to use the initials J-I rather than J-Q or J-P. Why do I like J-I? Because it emphasizes the identity and ideology. That's the problem with these this group. It's they have an identity and an ideology which is against the rest of humanity. So they are the ultimate in-group, and the rest of humanity, all the other races, are the ultimate out-group. So they develop their ideology and their customs and all of their uh, signature works of, of uh, religious literature, such as the Talmud, uh, the Zohar, and uh, what's the other one? The Kabbalah, Kabbalah. Yeah. the Kabbalah Dida, over many <laughs> centuries. And they're incredibly rigorous, incredibly concentrated. You've got to give them credit where credit is due. And so they had what is called a God complex. You're talking about a group of people who have a God complex. This is the brutal fact of it. But in 1666, that God complex blew apart. And they had a mental breakdown. And it's really important to understand what happened in this mental breakdown. The so-called apostasy of Sabbatai Zvei was a messianic crisis that uh, exploded in 1666. And we are living today in the consequences of that. If you know what the Sabbatian apostasy, meaning heresy, was, and you know how those events developed, you can turn around and read everything today that you see coming at you from the World Economic Forum, from Bill Gates, from the medical uh, tyranny, from the transsexual agenda. You can read it all. You know exactly what you're dealing with. So in essence, this is what happened to those people. This is what happened to their minds. Up until 1666, they had uh, an identity that they were especially selected by the creator of the world whom Gnostics identified as a satanic adversary, and they had a mission. And that mission was called today, you know, Tikkun Olam. They were going to correct the world according to the way that they believe it ought to function, right? They're not asking the other people in the world, is this how you would like to see the world run? They have their own idea. 
And they had a third factor in their narrative, which was a messiah. But this messianic figure was really problematical because they were in cognitive dissonance about it. Because in one respect, they were always expecting their messiah. Jesus Christ was not their messiah. He's the straw man messiah that they set up to divert attention from their program. When is this messiah going to come? When is the, uh, the Yudahite Messiah going to appear? There's a picture of Sabbatai's Zvei. Well, he appeared. He was crazy. He was a madman. He actually didn't even have a doctrine or a philosophy. He just sang songs and ranted on and went in, on to, into trances and things. But he was like the Semtex that exploded their Messiah complex. And when it was proven by the events of that time in which the worldwide population of the Yodahites was involved. It was a worldwide event. When it was proven that he was not the long-awaited Messiah, what did they conclude? Well, they concluded that there actually is never going to be a Messiah for us. And they went further than that. And they concluded in a psychotic breakdown in a state of extreme mental psychosis and instability, the leaders of that movement decided, well, even this idea that we are a select group chosen by God to fulfill a mission on the earth doesn't work for us anymore. We are now God on the presence of earth. Uh, Our presence on earth is the presence of God. That is the conclusion that came out of the Sabbatean psychotic breakdown. But hold on, it gets worse. So they were looking at their previous agenda and the, and the ruins of all their ideology and their great plan as the ultimate in-group. And they said, well, you know, do you remember that uh, we've been taught that the Messiah of our people, who is the ultimate and only real one, uh, can't appear until the world is degenerated to the worst possible state. You know, our teachings, going back to the Talmud, tell us this. So we've been waiting and waiting for the world to get worse and worse and worse. And our anticipation is unbearable because we have to wait until all of the races of the world and all the conditions of life have become horrific and unlivable. And then, so we are told by our ancestors, our Messiah will appear. Well, we're not going to wait for that anymore because we've just had the ultimate disappointment with Sabbatai's Zvei. We know no Messiah is coming. What are we going to do? And this is what they decided to do. They decided, first of all, that they are actually the presence of God on earth. And second, that their mission requires that they drive the world into that ultimate and final state of degeneration so that they can then save it, correct it, whatever is going on in their insanity. And so from 16, you can count it by centuries. 1660, you had the Zabatian heresy. 1760, the Rothschild dynasty kicked in. What that did 
was it gave the Zadokim, who are running this program, uh, another good name for them, by the way, comes from Douglas Reed's book, uh, The Controversy of Zion, the Talmudic Directorate. That's right. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. They, by 1760, they started to get tread with financial control. By 1860, they had been emancipated in Europe and they had the Communist Manifesto printed and they had the revolutions that they provoked in Europe, the orchestrated revolutions to destroy the nation states. By 1960, they had control of all the presidents of the United States, they had control of the Senate, of the foreign economic, foreign and domestic and economic policies of the United States and many other countries. Got give, give them credit where credit is due. I'm sure you've often heard, Henry, that the enemies of life, however other people may choose to label them, work by centuries, don't they? Oh yeah, definitely. And we're looking at the proof of that, but we're also looking at the last century. This is the end. This is the end. They are at the end game. They have played every card. And what you see today, what I see, that is most shocking evidence that this narrative about the, the Sabbatean agenda is true, is in this insane transgender and transsexual uh, attack, you say. Yeah. They have to destroy everything. They have to destroy not only national identity, ancestral identity, but they have to destroy the sexual identity of six-year-old children. I mean, this is what it's come to. And if you wonder, if you scratch your head and you say, well, how can anyone be so against life, against the natural truth of biology, against the safety and happiness of children as to propose that we chemically alter and mutilate them? How, because there's something not human working yeah. in this act. And you can't get away from that. And I don't know any way that you can get away from that. And it's pa it's packaged in a extraordinarily evil and clever way, right? We're we're the light of the nation. We're we're helping. We're improving. We're even the even the transgender uh, you know issue that's happening right now, and we're seeing some pushback, and that's that's all well and good, but obviously not strong enough. Not ne the tolerance of of parents and and us is is incredible if you consider what they're doing right now. But they're these are um, very powerful. Uh, you know concepts and and you know some people would I guess refer to the meme to use uh, the current vernacular but uh, it, it's really like packaged like if you and I've heard this several times now if you don't let your son uh, you know be converted or transition over to a daughter they're going to die right you have doctors coming out now to their participatory in this program saying to uh, parents like well, you know, uh, your son is going to kill himself if we don't uh, sterilize him. Essentially, then that's not what he says, but he, that's what they, that's what happens, uh, and and convert him into a girl or something like that. And it's kind of that's a microcosm of the bigger thing that you're talking about. That this is tikkum olam. We're fixing. We're improving. We're we're correcting an error, and the error is always the the na nature, the natural way, how things have been, how things are intended to be. And it's continuously working against that. It's working against genetics. It's working against human nature and even nature in and of itself. It's it's truly extraordinary it. when you put it in context of what is happening. You know, you nailed it. You nailed it, Henry. They are claiming that all that is natural, good, decent, true, beautiful, kind, 
in the human world and in the non-human world uh, is an error that needs to be corrected. But they are the error. They are the error. You see, they are the error in the divine experiment here on this planet. Well, and is it, isn't that... Sorry to interrupt, John, but isn't that the, obviously a natural defense mechanism for them as well? That if they're the ones not fitting in, then you need to convert the external to what you are, essentially. Uh, that's how you will fit in, <laughs> by making everything else around you to, to work with you, right? Or to be you, essentially. I mean, it's like playing chess with someone who's insane. You know, you could play, play chess with a, uh, an accomplished chess master. And he might beat you or she might beat you every time, but you would learn so much from playing with an accomplished chess master. But if you're playing with someone who can play chess pretty well and they're insane, you'll never be able to figure out how to beat them. Never. So we're trying to, to, to diagnose insanity here. And it is true, you're absolutely right, that they believe because of the neurological infection in their own brain, and I can go into great detail about what this is, have done, uh, they actually believe that uh, they are the right, uh, superior, divinely ordained aspect of this experiment. And they believe that, and they believe that everything that is not in their in-group is corrupt or erroneous. And yet, when you look at how they behave, it's their influence and their programs that is causing the corruption and causing the deceit. It's typical, you know, everyone, I think, knows what a bait-and-switch is. It's a bait-and-switch operation. So the bait is, and unfortunately, the bait is constantly being reloaded by the woke and the Marxist left. The bait is, oh, we're doing all this not only for the betterment of mankind, all of you, but we're doing it to set an example because Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy, our uh, overlord, the off-planet Father God said, that we should be a light to the nations, right? Yep. I, I've often wondered if you just went back to the original Hebrew, which I've looked at, and changed one letter, you could say that we are a blight to the nations. Uh, might be more accurate. But yeah, <laughs> the bait is we have the answer. We are the transhumanist overlords. We are the masterminds. We know the solution to everything. Even Harari says, Oh, death, that's nothing. A few, a couple of nerds in a laboratory can cure that, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. But it's a bait and switch because they bait people with that. And then what you get is not what they're offering. It's the same thing you see it demonstrated in Soviet Bolshevism, in communism. What's the bait? Well, the bait is uh, workers of the world unite, you know, throw off your chains there is a utopian version of reality which, in which we are all equal and there is not class distinction and class oppression. That's the bait. Worker's paradise. Look at what, huh? The worker's paradise. Yeah, worker's paradise yeah. is the bait. Yep. But then go look at the Soviet Union and read Solzhenitsyn and you yep. see what, the, what really what actually happened. Yep. And it's right. the same thing today. The woke brigades are out there always loading the bait, always dressing up the bait. So that uh, 
we will swallow people it. Who do not have critical faculties like us, people who do not have faculties of critical assessment and who do not care or dare to question the authorities, say, oh, well, it's all for the better. I'm a bad person if I don't go along with having my 15-year-old daughter uh, subjected to surgical mutilation, you know? Yeah. And, and so that's the bait. But what's coming behind that bait is genocide and enslavement and misery. Yeah. And this is the game. We are now in the war. And by the way, I'd like to say something because I always like to, uh, I don't like to fear monger. You know, I hope I don't come across that way. But I'd like to say something to listeners who maybe haven't heard me before. There's something that I said to my students and friends and the people who come to Nemata, my school. In, 19, uh, in 2019, I said, the year 2022 it's going to be really, really important. And in the year 2022, we will know enough, those who see this evil operating and want to defeat it, will know enough, even though there may not be many of us, we will know enough to see how the fight ends. But it will not be the end of the fight. Now, I'm watching current developments lately in the last three months of this year. And I have to say, if I might sound like I'm boasting, that I think that statement was true and accurate. You know, Henrik, if, if we're out somewhere and we go to the movies and, and or go out for an evening and we're walking home and we get attacked uh, in the street by a group of thugs, they're not starting the fight. We don't want to fight. So we're in a fight. But what we as fighters have to think about and concentrate on is how to end the fight. Yeah. And this is what I invite you all to concentrate on now, how to end the fight. The battle will not be over, uh, certainly in this year, but it's possible to see how it will be over, how to end it. And I, I consider that to be an extremely positive development. Is that in order to get us to basically walk the right path when those opportunities come up or we have a choice or, you know, uh, metaphorically, where you know there, there's many avenues we can take, there are many things we can spend our time working on, but if we know a little bit about how, I guess what their weakness is to a certain extent, then we need to uh, we need to be aware of that so we can go in that direction. Is that how you mean that it will be beneficial, or it's more focused than that? Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, when I say uh, if you and I are out in the street and we get in a fight and. Who knows what they're doing, using broken bottles, you know, throwing gas on us, whatever. We do all kinds of things. That's what's happening to people in the world today. They're in a fight they never intended to be in, and they're getting everything thrown at them from every direction. Yeah. What do you do? There's a point that comes, and this is a magnificent moment, and I believe this is it. If we can all agree on the origin of this evil, then we can all begin to agree, reach a point of unity about how are we really going to end this fight? How are we really going to take them down once and for all? And on that note, I return to my initial point. You have to bring in the supernatural. It's the presence and role of the supernatural that will determine the ultimate outcome of this fight. Yeah, and of course, that's what you've well really specialized on here. Uh, Absolutely. You know, as far as I know, yeah. I am the specialist on that subject. 
And I, I view that subject and I present it to you out there, not only as a scholar and a Gnostic, but as a shaman and a warrior. Okay, I don't want to get bogged. I, I, there's so many things I want to ask you here, obviously, because uh, there's a lot of paths to, you know, to take. Is that, um, and again, we can go deeper into this in the uh, second part here and things like that too. That's totally fine. Uh, anything else you want to mention about the Sabbatean uh, agenda before we talk a little bit more about uh, the, the next uh, issues here? Well, what I've given you, I'm sure that some of you who have studied the Sabbatean agenda and investigated yourselves or heard uh, those, seen those documentaries and videos on YouTube, for instance, many of them are, talk about it very favorably and it's as if it was a magnificent event in the life of the Yudahite peoples, right? The Yuds, right? But uh, no, there are a few that point out how dangerous it is. Unfortunately, those few that do expose the danger of the Sabbatean apostasy uh, often use uh, inappropriate and inaccurate language. They talk about Luciferian, they talk about satanic, uh, satanic cults, and they even go back to the mystery schools and even involve the Gnostics in it. Mm -hmm. For instance, yeah. uh, Gershom Sholem, <laughs> excuse me, uh, who wrote the main book on Sabbatai's Vey, which is 900 pages long, actually said, he characterized it as a Gnostic movement within Judaism. Hmm. Uh -uh. Hmm. So, my, so I'm offering you, for what it's worth, my summary, my capsule version of what happened over 300 years with the Sabbathian heresy. The value of that is simple. When you see the degeneracy that is being pushed everywhere, racial, sexual, educational, be aware that you know exactly where it's coming from. Don't scratch your ass and wonder, how can it be that bad? And how can anyone be doing these things to children or even proposing to do these things to children? Don't wonder. Don't ask anymore. It's coming out of that single protocol. It is. Yeah, because I, you know, I hear that all the time. And I don't know if you want to go into depths about that right now. But yeah, the... Um uh, the uh, the globalists are pagans, right? You know things like this. We we hear that thrown out, or as you said, I listened to one of your uh, other talks videos. There, have you recently had heard from <laughs> someone even like James Lindsay? How he threw out that there that's a Gnostic sect, and I was almost like, I think John, that's almost like a they grapple for new terms, right? It, it's like oh, this is a a cult was you know kind of popular for a while. Now it's like oh, it's a uh, a satanic thing, it's a Luciferian thing, it's uh, they're pagans, they're all these things. But, but so I think it's just I don't think they even fully comprehend the term in and of itself. It's it's like saying uh, there's another term I, I was thinking about, but it, it'll, it'll come to me. But it was popular for a little while there of like latching on to certain things. What, what do you have to say about that? <laughs> what do I have to say about that? Quite a bit, I assume. Fucking a, as the Americans say. I've, I have it in my notes for the second part of the talk because I wanted to invite and uh, request of listeners that they know my agenda and share my concern about the very bizarre development in which James Lindsay and other alt-right or so-called alleged right-wing voices are using the term Gnostic 
to slander the Marxists. They're, they're saying that the Marxists are Gnostics. So by associating the word Gnostic with Marxists, they are also slandering the Gnostics. This is a really serious development. But in a way, it could be actually, it could indicate a really good development, you see? Because the, they're on my turf now. And why would they choose that term? Even if they don't mention me, why would they choose that term as a term of condemnation and slander? Why would they scapegoat the Gnostics by association with Marxism? It's not merely an accident. It's, it shows me that the battle lines are really converging mm -hmm. and getting very, very close. I'm really glad you brought that up. Yeah, we can go into depth on later if you want to. But yeah, the, uh, the cathedral I was thinking about, that's one of the terms they were using for a while. Some of them called them Sikhs or something. I, my point is there's been various things that's kind of thrown out by uh, right-wing people in an attempt to kind of make something stick. You know what I'm saying? So, And even if they have a concept of why they're using the term, as you've clarified in other talks, that that in and of itself is also like a a, a straw man, which is really true for oh, many yeah. other things that that's being discussed out there. You know, they, they it's easy to to invent something or come up with a concept of what something is and then attack that. You know what I mean? And then and then you really never touch on the real uh, you know issues, the the real uh, content of something. Well, that's exactly how it's working. You see, you you saw that uh, short article I wrote for. Uh, Watkins magazine about the, the, the current debate over Gnosticism. Well, there is no debate. I want everyone to know that there are two views of Gnosticism on this planet. One is the one you've heard about, and the other is mine. And they are very, very different. And I claim that the one you've heard about, which is the one that James Lindsay and others are using, is a straw man argument against Gnosticism and the mysteries. And so I consider it I pondered this a lot, and I'm so glad we're able to talk about this here because I know it will reach an audience that will really get how tricky this is and how important it is to me because I'm the sole author on the planet and teacher who has attempted to present a different profile of what Gnosticism was and the mysteries and the mystery schools. And now they're using the straw man argument, which I have refuted, uh, in association with Marxism, they're also talking about Hermeticism as if it's something really evil, which is complete nonsense. They're talking about the mysteries as if they could be compared to the Supreme Soviet Directorate in Moscow. Give me a break. But I don't think it's just a fluke, Henrik. I think there's something much deeper behind it. I think it shows that they can feel that they are getting close to something that really threatens them, threatens their entire ideology. And that is the true Gnostic message for today. Yes. Um, we're kind of, obviously, we're going through a little bit of a revival here, uh, I'd say, just, to, you know, in simple terms of... Uh, uh, we, ma mainstream media calls it Christian nationalism. Uh, there's some other people that picked up on that term as well. Uh, there's kind of a revival of, uh, I guess, Christianity over a, in, in a way as a kind of as a counter response, really, to a lot of the uh, degeneracy that we're seeing, to a lot of the maybe not less so maybe replacement and things like that, but but definitely the by using their terms, you know, they see 
basically the elites and globalists are Satanists, right? They're, they're, or Luciferians, you hear some of these terms. And so the, the thing we have to do is pull back and we have to revive Christianity. And there's kind of a, uh, a re, a re, uh, re, not a reemergence maybe, but there's being revived a little bit in the U.S. right now. And there's some people, of course, in the uh, alt sphere that maybe have gone in this direction as well. Uh, this is a, obviously a hot potato. We have Christian listeners and things like that, too. But what, what would you like to say about this and how you view this and, and, the, uh, and kind of how this is, seems to be coming back a little bit? It's... Uh, it's a new fad in a way. I, that's kind of how I view it, to be honest. Well, I would say to anyone who is Christian or sympathetic to Christianity, uh, hold on to your knickers. Because I'm here to telling you, to tell you that Christ and the image of Christ as an ideal of humanity is the dankest meme on the planet and the sickest. And it is nothing but Yodahite malware in your minds. I've dedicated so much to this. And as I said at the beginning, in my 15th anniversary of edition, uh, I doubled down on this point. Of course, Henrik, obviously, we could have a whole two hours on the issue of Christian nationalism. Yes. Couldn't we? Yep. Right. We're not going to do that now. So just let me give you my best shot. Sure. Go ahead. Uh, it can't play. It can't play. Christianity cannot play in a genuine form of national socialism that can save the nations and save the sovereign peoples, the sovereign races. And that is shown by the example of, you know what, in the 20, 20th century, the 12 year Reich, you know, that social democratic model which is the highest model that's ever been achieved in history, you know, uh, did not rely on Christianity. And when you look into the depths of it, you see that, for instance, the leader of that movement said, my true religion is the grail. Do you know that he said that? Hmm. I I actually I don't recall that, but I do recall that um, uh, in Wevelsburg, right? They were looking for these uh, artifacts right. and things, were they not? They had twelve uh, uh, pill. I've been in the, I've been there. It's a fascinating place. Uh, but they well, were looking the 12, for some of this, right? The twelve ruined circle at Wevelsburg, and the symbol of the black sun is simply uh, a warrior meme. That's all it is. Uh, you know, it didn't emerge until after 1945 by a, through the work of a fictional writer. I mm -hmm. forget his name right now. Uh, but it's a warrior meme. What uh, one of the military leaders of that movement wanted to do was to recreate something like an elite warrior class, like the, based on the 12 uh, knights of the round table. You know, and I myself have endorsed that. There has to be an elite warrior class in each nation that protects the sovereign interests of that nation. You see, that is the black, that is the true meaning of the black sun mean. But not to get too far away here, let me just make another uh, lacerating and an insufferable comment about Christian nationalists. There was a man called Rabbi Stephen Wise. And during the Second World War, he gave a lecture, uh, a talk to a mob at, what is it, uh, Radio City Hall 
in the center of New York City. Now, you can't find this anymore on the Internet. I haven't been able to find it. But in that talk, he fomented racial hatred. He incited the hatred of the American people toward the Germans. And it was a decisive event in driving the American people into World War II, which they didn't want to get into, or World War I, for that matter. And he said in that talk, it's not an exact quote, but this is a close paraphrase. And listen closely, because this is the voice of a Sabbatean speaking. He said, I stand here before you today, not merely speaking as the voice of my particular, what do you say, race or group, but I speak as the voice of humanity. <laughs> and speaking as the voice of humanity, I, Rabbi Stephen Wise, uh, incite you into this senseless war and incite you to violence and hatred of another race, a brother race, the German people. This actually happened. You have to go back and look at the historical evidence. Well, Rabbi Stephen Wise was the same person who said, uh, some call it communism. I call it Judaism. Yep. This is all the, uh, this is all the Sabbatean program. Can you see that? Once you see it, you've you got the enemy in your face. You've got the, you're looking at the enemy face to face. And I think one of the rules of Chinese uh, military mysticism, Sun Ju or whatever, I've never read them, but you have to know the enemy. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah. You have to know what the enemy looks like. Of course. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You can't fight it otherwise. Is is there is there separating the two? That's kind of, it's one of the central things here, right? Because people say, you know, well, there was Germanization. You know, that's one of the books, the sources of Christianity became something distinctly European and things like that. And, I, and I've heard all those arguments and stuff. But can't the question is, can you separate the two? That that's what you know. You're damn right, you can. You're yeah. damn right, you can. You know, there are people in Ireland, like Jem uh, O'Darty. She's the one who went to the Irish House of Power and asked them to show evidence that COVID actually exists, and they couldn't. Remember that scene? I, I remember that, yeah. That was great. <laughs> Gemma Dowdy, warrior for a country, Irish woman, Catholic. Is there a problem here? Yes, Gemma, if you're listening, I tell you, you've got a serious problem. When you say that Ireland is a Christian nation, it's not. It's a Christianized nation. It's like saying that milk is homogenized. No, there is milk that is not homogenized. That is an analogy for the racial and ancestral purity of all of our races, the white races included, of course. The racial minority, as you know, demographically, was somewhere between 8 and 12% of the global population. No, Italy is not a Christian nation. It's a Christianized nation. It's the difference between raw milk and homogenized milk or pasteurized milk. We want to get back to the raw milk, which is the source of our ancestral identity, particularly of the white ancestral identity, because, excuse me for being racist, but milk is white. There you go. <laughs> That's right. That's all right. All by right. nature, by nature, it can be right, chocolate right. milk, it can be chocolate milk, <laughs> it can be strawberry, but milk 
by my nature. There is, yeah, there's a natural state and then there's an altered or, you know, uh, transformed state, essentially. Yes, you're absolutely right about that. So to put a final point on it, I have to tell you that uh, I did some talks with uh, a man called Jeffrey Doherty uh, a while back and uh, with like conversations with a Gnostic, between a Christian and a Gnostic. And I said, look, Christianity is just malware. It's malware. And you don't need uh, Christian, the articles of the Christian faith to fight the battle to reclaim sanity on this planet. It's oh, totally unnecessary. Uh, you know, every religion is composed of two elements, values and faith, moral standards and the items of faith. For instance, the items of faith of Christianity are, oh, Jesus was a divine son of Father God or he uh, sacrificed his life for the rest of us, or he walked on water, or he rose from the dead. These are all articles of faith. Do you really need to believe in these articles of faith to stand up to the evil that is coming to your doorstep today? You don't. Chuck all the articles of faith. Now turn around and look at, well, what are the, what are the values? What are the moral standards of Christian religion? Well, they're not different than the moral standards of any other sane and decent human animal. Christianity has no monopoly on moral goodness. So if you want to be moral good, morally good, and maintain sane moral values uh, and be a warrior, you don't need Christianity. You don't need either the values or the articles of faith. You don't. And I'm I just uh, my heart goes out in a way, well maybe it doesn't, my cold dead heart, as some people say. You're going to have a breakdown. Christian nationalists are going to have a breakdown. I mean, how are you going to apply the rule of Jesus? Uh, Turn the other cheek, love your enemies, do good to them that harm you. How are you going to apply that when the Sabbateans start knocking at your door? Excuse me. I I don't have the answer for that because I'm... uh... (laughs) I, I don't. You're not a <laughs> right, right, exactly. I'm not. Uh, so therefore, yeah, I didn't. I didn't go that path. I didn't choose that. Uh, you know, as some as some do, and uh, it's very it's very hard to when you when you're dealing with faith. It's very hard to even have a a conversation about it, and it immediately turns to just like. You know, and not that I care about that, that's fine, but like, you know, just vicious or childish attacks. And you, know, you can't really get anywhere. No, look, no. there could be some that are no. interested. I'm not saying that, but generally, that's what I have noticed. And it, and it quickly kind of degenerates. And that's why I'm like, all right, okay, well, this is, it's not really a point. There's no point in having that in a way. Just, I'm just, you know, all right, we'll talk, you know, we move on, we'll do other things, or, or we'll talk about what we're interested in doing. But they're they're there. They will do that, and they will run. You know, they will run through that uh, that mechanism and whatever. Can you say something about how you th- how, how will they will they be used as a as a as a tool for for what is to come? Will they be participatory in it, or is it just that their application just is not going to work in your view to defeat the evil that we've kind of tried to describe a little bit here so far? Well, it's a complicated question. Anyway, yeah, and I would just prefer to speak to the heart and conscious conscience, the heart and conscience of everyone who considers themselves to be a Christian. 
because in the end, this battle comes down to the individual. Every, every single one of us stands as an individual on the battlefield. <coughs> and I would put this question to their heart, you know, uh, when you need to stand for life, when you're in a life and death situation, and you look upon your conscience and your decency and your sense of humanity, do you really need to refer to Jesus and the Bible to uphold that? I don't think you do. You may believe that you do, but I would argue that your humanity is innate. It's biological, biologically embedded, and it doesn't need either the faith or the values of Christianity, you see? An, an, exter <coughs> an external that, source, that's what you're talking about. Yeah, it doesn't need an external source. Right. It's not sourced externally. So I believe that, I don't know, I would love to have face-to-face -face conversation with James Lindsay. He's not a Christian, but, you know, or his friend O'Fallon or any of those people. They say, look, uh, you know, uh, in my psychological analysis, for what it's worth, I can't see how you're not going to find yourself in a in a breakdown and cognitive dissonance by carrying these Christian uh, values into the battle that's underway. Yeah, I've certainly seen it being, uh, <coughs> and some are maybe strong enough to, you know, I guess ignore it, look the other way, or however we want to phrase that. Uh, it doesn't matter what terms I use because it was always never be good enough, but. But some, I, I certainly, let me put it this way, I certainly see how the <coughs> external, uh, you know, the, 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 the system, essentially, let me just keep it simple, the system is trying to attack continuously Christians and getting them to fold, right? This is what your scripture says, you have to do this. I see leftists picking it up, I see people uh, in mainstream picking it up, I see people like the Pope, right? Some of the highest authorities in, in these churches and stuff continuously like, well, you know, if we just talk about a, a simple thing such as uh, replacement, doesn't mean it's correct, but I'm just saying, they'll say, well, Jesus was an immigrant and we're supposed, you know, we, we need to open our borders and he was a refugee and, and you hear these kinds of slogans uh, repeated all throughout in order to get uh, to get the Christians to fold essentially to the agenda that's like ongoing right now. Listen, it's like having a stream of sewage uh, projected at you from a high tension fire hose. It really is. I, I, my feeling about it, and I stand by this, and anyone can come and ask me and invite me. Uh, the argument over religion is worthless and pointless. I tend to agree. Yeah, overall, I agree. Nothing but speculation and fantasy. On the other hand, there is a conversation that has to be had with people who hold religious views. And if I were in a position to have that conversation, I would say, look, give me a break. Give me a few moments. And let me see if I can direct you to the subject of the supernatural and the divine. Seen in Gnostic terms. Because that conversation is rational. That conversation is intelligent. The conversation about the Aeon Sophia, the Earth is a divine experiment, the generation of the archons of the extraterrestrial parasites, their influence on human behavior, all this is empirical. It's noetics. It can be discussed by rational people. But religious issues are not rational, and that argument is pointless. 
I want to ask you a bit more, obviously, in the second part about this and, and certain deep dives we're going to do here more. Uh, and again, you, I mean, you, people will have to also refer to some of your prior work and things like that. Uh, I mean, the, the the way that you've analyzed and, and talked about the uh, Nag Hammadi, uh, you know, the the, the uh, codices, the the codex, or what, what do you call it? Uh, the the literature, the text that we got from from that, uh, and some of the finds there, and you've tried to basically unravel and, p- and put all this in context of what the so-called Gnostics, you know, what they said, what they believed, how they came to these conclusions and stuff like that. And there's a, there's a lot there that's like a you know three four five hour show in and of itself. But it, before we we're going to wrap up the first part here in just a little bit. Um, do you want to sneak in something else there on your last point regarding the 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 COVID psyop? Um, Absolutely. Okay, please go ahead. Uh, I talk about the COVID PSYOP in the 15th anniversary edition. And one of the most, one of the big challenges I faced in doing that revision was, well, it came out in 2006. This is, uh, you know, 2021. And we're right in the middle then. We're right in the middle of the, what I call the COVID PSYOP combining the word COVID and Soviet, because it is a Soviet event. And the word Soviet means arbiter or judge. Who are the Soviets? The Soviets are that righteous third party, that same group, the usual suspects. They are those who say, oh, here's a problem in Russia, and here's a problem in uh, Germany. And we won't let those people and those nations solve that themselves. We are the Soviet authorities. So they are the third point and they are the arbitrators of uh, what happens. That's how they control. They take that position and they meddle in other people's affairs. That's why I call them the righteous third party. So uh, there was so much I could have said about how the Gnostics in a way foresaw this PSYOP. You know, one of the leading memes in the narrative of, of uh, Sophia, which is the master narrative of Gnostic teachings, is the aborted fetus. This I've talked about the aborted fetus a lot. Now, I just ask you to wrap your mind about this. The Gnostics warned us about the archonic parasites and they used the vivid uh, image of an aborted fetus thousands of years ago. And yet here in 2020, 2021, we find ourselves living in a world where the overlords are proposing to inject people with material of an aborted fetus. So let me ask you, do you think that the Gnostic vision might in some way be accurate? Yeah, that's right. Was it... uh what was it called again? I know that the uh, the origin was from a, a young Dutch boy back in the 1970s, and they had cultured his cells or whatever. Right, the using- mRNA. I, I, I designated in not in his image as a code for it. Yeah, T, uh, T11, I, yeah, I forget this well, or MR15 or something. Yeah, there's something like that. I forget exactly what <clears> it is, too. But yeah, yeah. so they're using that in there. And then, I mean, of, of course, course you, you could extend it even now to look at how crazy... Isn't this the ultimate? I mean, to to kind of encapsulate some of the things that you've talked about so far, we've talked essentially about the perversion of the natural, the the transformation of it, the the changing of it, the mutation of it of sorts. You can call it transhumanism. You can call it what you want. You can put whatever label on you want it. But 
if the mRNA vaccine has introduced one thing to us, it is that our there's something wrong with our DNA and that our DNA must be changed. That is like right at the striking it right at the heart of the things that you've been talking about. And that's something that came in the wake of the of the covid uh, psyop. And they used that as the excuse to roll out this new, incredibly uh, volatile, dangerous and potentially, uh, you know, earth changing and shattering technology and inject it in the majority of people, at least in the West. I mean, we were the ones who primarily were sold this stuff. We were even called, remember, we were even called racist and vaccine nationalists because we hoarded all the the, the wonderful, safe and effective magical juice. You know what I mean? Uh, but then it's mostly people of European descent that were injected with this stuff. It, it, it is incredible how fast this was uh, unveiled on us, John. It's just a lie. There's nothing wrong with the human genome. There's nothing wrong with our genetics. Uh, this subject, by the way, as you know, not to go into a big digression because we'll round off the first hour now, but it goes to the Sitchin hypothesis, which is widely uh, promoted and said to have been derived from Sumerian tablets of the Anunnaki and so forth. The claim that the archons or Anunnaki uh, cracked into the human genome at some point and created and modified it and created a slave species. Not true. I have refuted this on many, many points. I have gone back to the ancient materials and analyzed them. However, there was something that did happen, and I said what it was already, that the archon mind parasites hacked into the neurology of a certain group. And that was the beginning of the archontic infection. So there really is one true infection on this planet in the biosphere, in the Petri dish of the biosphere where we live, there is an infection. And those who carry that infection are the ones who are imposing this insane medical tyranny on us. Again, they're presenting their evil program as the solution. Yeah, again, I mean, there's been awards to this effect. Uh, Albert Borla recently got one. Uh, Bansell have been, you know, praised for, of, of Moderna, right? Uh, Borlai's, uh, the Pfizer CEO and things like that. And they kind of intentionally brought that up as, a, as an aspect of it. And uh, I mean, it's no matter how you slice this, it's just a way over representation of this particular group in these uh, big pharma uh, companies and these uh, the, the rollout specifically of this new untested. Uh, well, their motive, is, their motive is purely financial, obviously, because they made millions on it. Millions on the masks, millions on the uh, safety outfit and equipment that was thrown away. I mean, it's a scandal beyond imagination. The money that they made on that scam, just like the electrical and power providing agencies are making money on the current orchestrated crisis. Okay? Exactly. So what I'd like to do, Henrik, is can we phase toward the second hour now? Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I wanted to mention that real quick. Do you remember that, how they said... No, 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 this won't, all the, the, they assured us, right, as they always do with these things. No, 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 it won't change your genetics, won't change anything. And then we had that study out of Sweden, Umeå University, and a couple of other ones that just like, uh, actually, it does change your <laughs> DNA. And again, the conspiracy theorists were right. They told you this from the get-go. This doesn't look good. Even some of the early studies that were done on it, told, you know, said, said that. I mean, you know, again, I'm mentioning that to bring up this, the importance of, their, of them crossing this threshold of uh, uh, mentally for people of saying 
No, we can just change if you know we'll we'll point to something that's wrong with you or an external factor in this case that's dangerous, and we'll sh we'll update your DNA. We'll change your DNA like you're it's just computer code, and we'll inject this new piece of code in you, and you'll be better equipped to live under the new cir circumstances. That I think yeah, is well, a that's, very that's important. That's pure insanity. That's pure insanity. But it's not just human insanity. It's human insanity with an alien factor in it. And again, I can't emphasize how important it is to recognize that alien factor. So I'd, I'd like to go actually to some details about the uh, COVID PSYOP, as I call it, when we get into the next uh, part of the conversation. How would that be? You bet, you bet. That's that's very good. That's very good. So here at the end, John, uh, give us all the details then. And, and of course, the, 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 the focus here today uh, is very much on the 15th edition of Not In His Image, um, whether you're uh, friend or foe, I, I propose you pick up a, a copy of the book, uh, read it, uh, so you can decide for yourself on the material that John is talking about here. Um, that's out right now. How do people get the book? Tell us about some of your website. If people want to find out more, they want to follow you more closely, where do they go? Let us know. Well, I prefer if you're in America or Canada to order it from my publisher, Chelsea Green. But you can get it through the usual channels, of course. And uh, that's it. You know, there's my book, there's my uh, website or online school, nemata.org. And then there is that uh, clip that you've been showing, uh, which is uh, on sophianicmyth.org, which is an introduction to the sacred myth of the mysteries of the Asian, uh, of the Aeon Sophia. And that's it. I don't have any other media footprint with that. I don't have Twitter or anything else. Do you want to say anything about uh, Nemeta, was it, or Namita? Nemeta. Nemeta, that's yeah, right. Nemeta, Nemeta is, that's right. Uh, is an online, online school. Maybe I could say something about that at the end of the talk because it brings up the question of uh, the mysteries and what are what is a mystery school and how could there be a mystery school today? Uh, maybe we can move toward that in the second part of the talk. Absolutely, you bet. And also you have uh, sophianicmyth.org. We'll have some of these links up there. Uh, and of course, you do have a, a couple of YouTube channels. Folks, check out John Lamb Lash simply on uh, on YouTube. That's yeah. one of the places where you upload material as well. So I suggest people subscribe there and follow there. All right, very good. Uh, fascinating, just uh, scratching the surface here, folks. But we'll take a, a short little break and we'll be back with more uh, of John Lamb Lash in the second part. Join us at redicemembers.com. We'll see you on the other side. Well, folks, if you're new, it might seem convoluted. It might not. I'm not sure what your uh, power level are when it comes to some of these more esoteric topics. But uh, fear not, we're going to continue to clarify and go deeper into some of these concepts together with John Lash in part two at RedEyesMembers.com. So join us over there. We're going to continue to talk more about uh, basically what uh, he proposed we can do about the things that we face right now. What are some of the methods that we connect with uh, with the, the supernatural and some of these uh, sources that uh, John claims is behind uh, the direction that we're going uh, right now. We're talking about things that uh, presumably are uh, unseen and unknowable. But of course, as John will clarify, uh, they in fact are not and they're readily and easily accessible to most people if you're willing to to look there. What can that do to help us uh, in the fight? Is it worth to look at some of these areas as well in addition to some of the uh, physical hands-on battles that people are having right now in terms of exposing these people, in terms of building parallel institutions and infrastructure and basically many of the things that uh, at least I consider will be essential for us to be able to uh, 
survive essentially in terms of what's coming. I think what we're in for here is a pretty shaky road up ahead. Short term, I think it could be very tumultuous. Long term, I'm actually very positive. And that's also one of the things we'll talk about with John Lash in part two, that there's actually a lot of uh, positive developments as we're kind of getting closer and closer to the edge here. We're teetering right on the abyss, uh, but that's a great time of opportunity as well. And I think that they're overplaying their hand. And I think John uh, agrees with me on uh, that note. So guys, if this speaks to you and you want to find out more, join us at RedEyesMembers.com. You not only, of course, get access to the second hour of many of the interviews that we've done over the years, but you get access to Weekend Warrior shorter videos, exclusive material just for you over at RedEyesMembers.com. You can also sign up at Subscribestar.com slash RedEyes. We have a couple of different tiers there. We have, of course, the normal regular tier, 10 bucks a month. That's a membership. We also have a membership plus a donation if you want to do a little bit extra. And then we have two tiers for producers and executive producers. For those of you guys who want to give a little bit extra and help us to uh, reach our next goal when it comes to the expansion of Red Eyes, we're looking at getting 20 executive producers over at Subscribestar, and that will help us to be able to get a full-time editor. We are overworked and undermanned, and we need to do more, and we need to do it better, and that's a good start to uh, getting us in that direction. So if you want to help out, please consider Subscribestar. Also, of course, that reminds me, we want to give a shout-out to our current executive producers, T. Lothrop, Stoddard, V. Miller, Resin Revolt, Good Luck Lamp, Jake, Red Pill Rundown, Chalky Milk, French 47, Mark Smith, No One Jeebs, President Obunga, and Kvetch Me If You Can. That's our executive producers. Thank you guys. We also have a Mr. Walker 696 as a producer. Much more coming up in part two with John Lash that I think you'll enjoy. We'll see you guys on the other side.